Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little, And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to your scriptures, we ask that you would again be present with us. I ask that my words would be useful to you and to the work you're doing amongst your people. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So if you were around during the summer, you may have noticed that I took one week off in August and you may have heard why. A friend of mine was on sabbatical and he asked me to fill in for him one time over the summer and I chose August 13th. And why did I choose August 13th? Because I had a birthday on August 10th, and I wanted to be out of town. It was a day that I turned from the 40s to older. (laughs) It was a day that I did not want to have some kind of an ambushed moment of friends and acquaintances and neighbors and... I didn't want it. 
I just didn't want it. And so I had an opportunity to take control. And to my wife's annoyance, I did. And I stand by that decision to this day. And now the reason why I'm going to tell you that is because I have a, 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 I have a, a birthday to tell you about. It's my most memorable birthday party that I did not attend. My friend and pastor and colleague, Pedro Gavantes, was turning 50. This was years ago, and I, have, I had a youth event that night, so I couldn't attend. But let me tell you what happened the day that my friend, very wonderful, jovial, wonderful person, but a very serious person. He's, he's not the person that you practical joke, or at least I would never. It's just, you know, it, it's some people you can joke with, and some people you just don't. Apparently, that does not apply to his sister-in-law. Because they had one of those gatherings at the house, and they must have said surprise, and then there were drinks, and there was food, and people. there were people from work. There were people from the neighborhood. There were people from the baseball teams his kids were on. There were people from the church and from other churches. There were friends and family came in. There was 50, 60 people milling around this house. And then there was an uninvited guest wearing an odd array of clothing, performing odd behaviors that did not match the mood or the tenor of the celebration of Pedro's 50 years of life. But no, his sister-in-law hired an Elvis impersonator to arrive at said party and start to sing on that summer afternoon with perspiration dripping down his temples, Elvis songs. Pedro's not necessarily an Elvis fan, she just thought it was funny. Okay, the, uh, the, okay, yay, we got an Elvis impersonator, and he sang uh, Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Okay, good. And, and then he sang another song. And then he sang another song. Apparently, it went on for 20 minutes. Now, I'm just going to tell you. Even just hearing that story, I can laugh, but it's a nervous laugh. I grew up in a world where, you know, when you stayed home from school, all the reruns of I Love Lucy would be on, and I would turn on. There's a certain point in every sitcom that I have to look away. I have to turn the channel or leave the room because it gets so cringy. It gets so embarrassing that I can't personally handle it. And when I heard about some Elvis impersonator stopping an entire party and have every... I would have been out on the back porch with Pedro's son, with my good friend Dan, with several other people that were like, oh, nope, I'm not, I'm not here, I'm out. This is too awkward. And then there's other people, soulless, crazy, bizarre, I don't understand people, like my former boss, Jamie, who was there, like my wife, Kathy, who was there, who, if there had been like movie popcorns, they would have grabbed one and just sat there. They loved every awkward minute of that. I can't take it. I can't. I can't do it. I, I, is, who here is a cringe person? Like certain shows, like you, you just get a certain point and you just, or, or karaoke is the worst idea ever because you're just so embarrassed for everybody at all times. Yeah, I'm, that is me, but not these people. They were like, bring it on, pour it out. The more awkward, the better. And Elvis sweating in, a, in, in the 70s suit, by the way. It was the jumpsuit with the flare bottoms and, and, and rhinestones. That is why I skipped my 50th birthday, for fear of any form of reproduction of Elvis. And the reason why I share that with you is hopefully you felt a little bit of the cringe, or hopefully you felt a little bit of that awkwardness of the uninvited guest. 
Chris read this passage for us. And it's a passage you may know, have heard before, but if you haven't, there's some setting that we need to understand about this passage. You see, Jesus was going around and he was starting to make some waves. He was starting to make himself known. He started to have a reputation so much that even John, his cousin, who was in jail, said, are you the one or am I waiting for someone else? They weren't totally sure. Why? Because on one hand, they heard great things. On the other hand, they heard bad rumors. Who is this crazy person? Who is this teacher? Who is this prophet that came from the north? Who is this rabbi, this teacher? Is he from God? When he entered the town of Nain, in, verse, in the beginning of this chapter, as they were entering, there was a woman who was leaving. She's only known as the widow of Nain, and she's one of my favorite people in all the scripture. This widow, in this setting, in this stage, uh, women's security was attached to their families. Did they have a father? Did they have a husband? Did they have sons to carry on and do a lot of the work? They weren't free to do it and take care of their needs as freely as they would be if they were male. And this widow, who had already lost her husband and now lost her son, her only son, was leaving. And as they were coming out, Jesus was coming in with an entourage of people celebrating. Oh, this is Jesus. This is exciting. You should see what he does. You should taste the wine. You should eat the fish. It's amazing. And then you have this funeral procession coming out. What a, what a contrast of these passerbyers. And Jesus sees, and he goes over, and he touches the dead body. Which, as you know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you don't touch dead things, or you become what? Unclean. And he tells the boy to wake up. He gives this widow, who he never knew, who we don't even know the name of, he gave her her son back. He gave her her security. He gave her her love. He stopped and he had compassion on this woman who literally mattered directly nothing to him. So you can imagine what kind of a stir that must have caused in town. This traveling teacher is here. We don't know who else he talked to much that day. Um, we do know that as he was dealing with John's, um, John's uh, disciples who came and talked to him, he said to them about, look to what I've done, look to what's going on. And then he said, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you've some say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the setup, is that there are some who are looking at him as the rabbi and some who are looking at him as the problem, as the poison. You see, the Pharisees, many were probably well-intended, but they had a very narrow understanding of who they were, who Israel was, and why they were in the occupied Roman setting that they were in. It's because they had sinners in their midst. They were not a pure people. So if you weren't pure enough, you were excluded because you were the problem. You were the cause of God's judgment. And that's what they were trying to decide. Who is Jesus? Some decided that he is a glutton because he has all these dinner parties. He's a drunkard. The reputation that he made, cases, uh, made um, jars and jars of wine. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. So then he's invited to another dinner party. Simon, 
a local Pharisee, invites him to have dinner. Now, just so you understand that some of these dinners in this kind of Roman context, it might be called the symposia. Um, the, the, the honored guests would come and the honored other guests would come and they'd all sit and they'd dine together and they would sit in the reclined area where their kind of feet are back and they're just leaning on their left side, eating with their right hand around this little low table that's in a semicircle form. But it was also out in a courtyard. You see, when you had a dignitary come in like this, it wouldn't not just be a private party. It would be a public private party. Maybe the public isn't there to eat, but they're there to hear the conversation that happens after dinner. The hours and hours of what do you think and the back and the forth of ideas and thoughts and teachings. This was a common or at least a known occurrence, and this is probably what this meal was shaped like. That probably explains how this woman was even there, just standing behind who knows whether Jesus had had an interaction with her during some time during the day or from another city. We don't know if this woman had heard about him and just heard how he treated people, how he treated the tax collectors and the others. Or we don't know if as they were having this symposium, this back and forth, she was moved to tears. What we do know is that as Jesus was reclined there, eating at the Pharisee's house, this woman who had lived a sinful life in town. And by the way, one of the things that's interesting, and whenever we have a woman who is in trouble, we automatically are thought of with sexual promiscuity and infidelity or worse. But I will say the text in this instance does point to that. They refer to her as a renowned woman of sin in the town, and then the way she acts and treats Jesus is one of uh, someone who doesn't know pro proper boundaries. For one thing, women and men wouldn't be having conversations like that, especially in a public setting. Secondly, um, Joel Green, a New Testament, great New Testament scholar, wrote that if a woman took down her hair in public, that would be on, on par with us today if someone took their top off. That kind of immodesty. It would be shocking. It would be stunning. And here's this woman who stands behind Jesus and starts to weep. And starts to weep on his feet. And she kneels down and undoes her hair and starts to wipe off his feet because she's... Who knows? She's embarrassed. She's uh, uh, sad. She's... Ecstatic, we don't know. She's just crying and weeping and feet are being washed with her hair. And she takes the little perfume vial that she had around her neck, the alabaster, and she opens it up and pours the ointment on him. And this is obviously one of those cringy moments that I like to avoid. Imagine if you're one of the dinner guests there. You're reclined and you're thinking, Simon, what is, what is, what is going on at Simon's place? Or maybe you're one of the around the edge guests. Maybe you're a, a bystander who, who came in because he saw a crowd and you know what we'd like to do. Think back to grade school when somebody was all gathered up, everybody starts running because there's a group of people standing in a circle. It must be a thing. Well, the thing was happening and this was far greater, far more noteworthy, far more um, rumor worthy than anything they could have imagined. You know that woman in town, you know that one, she stood behind the guest of honor, the teacher, the rabbi, 
The one that people are saying is a prophet. You know, yes, the one who raised him today. She was standing behind and she took her hair down. She was weeping. She was a mess. She was wailing. And she started wiping her hair on his feet. Socially speaking and morally speaking, this woman was all sorts of socially wrong. Every form of wrong. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who that woman is. See, Simon invited him, but not to really know and support Jesus, or not necessarily to condemn Jesus. I think he was kind of an open-minded inquirer. Who is this man? Well, let's have a symposium. Let's have a dinner. Let's see who he is. And then at this moment, Simon's like, I've seen all I need to see. Because if he was a prophet of God, he would know who she is and he would not tolerate such behavior. Now, let's also put ourselves in that spot. Jesus' reputation is on the line. Jesus is trying to start a movement, right? Jesus is trying to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is one where we are to what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And yet, he does not have a real strong obedience to the, to the laws of our people. He just touched a dead body earlier. I mean, yes, he made him alive, cool, but... And I've heard he eats with tax collectors and other sinners. Problem? Some said he's even got drunk. And now that woman is touching him with her hair. How does he know her? Yeah, you can imagine how the rumors would go. How would you feel in that moment when you're trying to assess what's going on? And Simon made a decision. He now knows, oh, not a prophet. And then Jesus answered him, Simon, 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 I have something to tell you. Go ahead, teacher, tell me. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other owed him 50. That's kind of the difference between like almost two months' wages and almost two years' wages. Imagine yourself in that time in life where money is super tight and you're just thinking, how can I get one creditor off me so I can pay off the next one? And then you find, face that creditor and they say, you don't have it? All right, well, I'll clean the books. It's forgiven. The person forgiven 50 is grateful, aren't they? Oh, thanks, Tom. Great, ah, I appreciate that. I'll get you next time. But the person who was forgiven 500, they don't have that capacity to say, I'll get you next time. Because the scope and scale is beyond a quid pro quo, a trade, a barter. No, it goes well beyond that. So Jesus sends, set up, sets up this parable, this story, and asks, who loves more? Simon Smart, and he answers correctly. Well, clearly the person forgiven more loves more. Friends, one thing that Jesus could have done in that moment to save his reputation would have been to say, oh, oh, please, please, dear, stop. 
thank you. I mean, I appreciate, I see your sincerity, but what you're doing is a little inappropriate. Right? He could have stopped an inappropriate expression of authentic appreciation. Right? You can have both, can't you? You can have both at the same time. You can have someone acting genuinely, sincerely, while also being inappropriately, which I believe she was for their day and their culture. And here's what Jesus did not do. He did not stop her. He knew her heart, and he embraced the moment, and he embraced this woman's offering as genuine and therefore worthy of reception. I don't know if I could. I mean, to be honest, by my statement about the birthday party with Elvis, I would have been out on the back porch and just avoiding the whole thing. But Jesus sat there in this moment, knowing people were making judgments about him. And he embraced the woman who was deeply moved, the woman who'd had 500 denarii forgiven on her ledger of morality. See, there's something interesting here. There's two stories of hospitality. Jesus showed this woman who did all forms of everything wrong and had a history of all forms of everything wrong and he embraced her gift and he celebrated and he held it up before all as good. So good that she was declared forgiven. She was declared healed. She was declared to belong by Jesus' declaration of forgiveness. She's no longer an outsider. She is welcome in my kingdom today. But there was also a hospitality that she was giving to Jesus, that the host of the home did not give to him. As was typically custom, customary, you would greet someone in your home, you'd give them the embrace, tap on the shoulder, a little cheek kiss. By the way, I did not grow up in a world, in a culture of cheek kisses. And then I moved to the Philadelphia area, and what is, is, is it the Italian-American community that has brought this? I've learned, wait, left, then right. Do not go right. That is another story of my life that brings instant cringe. When this lady at church saw me at lunch and she came in to do the, and I went right and she went left. The most awful thing, nothing's been said. Later on, my friend who'd been at the lunch, we were watching a TV show and they had a cheek kiss thing and I was like, all I said was, I hate cheek kisses. And he said, yeah, about that. Oh, I tried to leave the room. He wouldn't let me, and he brings it up years and years and years later. But you would greet, greet someone with a kiss. You would then wash their feet because all the dusty uh, travel. Open-toed open shoes, sandals. You're going to have a dinner. You're going to put your feet up on the little couches. And we'll wash off. We'll send a servant. We'll wash off. And then maybe a little sprinkle of an incense on your head to bring a little sweet fragrance just to say welcome. That's a very typical greeting in this day and era. We have other documents that show that was a common custom and practice. 
But apparently Simon did none of those to Jesus because for Simon, he felt he was a equal to Jesus. He was actually not an equal. He was on the board of judge and jury deciding whether Jesus was valuable enough, whether Jesus was valid as a prophet. So he didn't welcome him in yet as an esteemed colleague. He brought him in under the, well, you're the traveling dignitary. You're the traveling showman. You're the traveling buzz that's causing all the news among the countryside. Let's hear you out before I welcome you. Because why? If he welcomes him with full honor, that's an endorsement of Jesus, isn't it? And he's not ready to endorse Jesus yet. This is the interview. So Jesus calls him out on it. Simon, uh, you didn't wash my feet, but this woman is. Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but this woman is still kissing my feet. Simon, you did not bless me with perfume and welcome, but this woman is pouring out her ointment and perfume as she weeps. This woman was the true host. She was the truly hospitable one to Jesus. And for that, in her faith, she was saved. She was saved. Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Now again, in this room, it's a split crowd. There are the people that are very pro-Jesus. Who is this who can forgive sins? And then there's the anti-Jesus crowd, the drunkard, the, the, the friend of sinners. Who is this who says he can forgive sins? And then there's the questioners in the middle. Who can? I'm confused. Only God can forgive sins, but he said he can forgive sins. What's going on here? You notice something that... Um, Luke, when he's writing this, verse 34, he highlights that the Pharisees are saying that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and that he's a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, G and Luke does not try to dissuade them. No, oh no, he's not. He cleans them up first, and then he becomes their friend. No. They double down. You're a, you're a friend of tax collectors, and you're a friend of sinners. And Jesus says... Yes. Yes, I am. And then he turns to that sinner. Your sins are forgiven. Hmm. So, there's a couple things I want us to take from this today. One, turn to Jesus. See his beauty. Hear his majesty. Understand that the world he is coming to bring is unlike the way of the rules and the norms of society as we know it. It's a radical love. It's an uncomfortable love. It's an inclusionary love that brings the least likely people into his inner sanctum and inner circle. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest. When, when we think of ourselves in that position, when we can see ourselves in her Shoes, we say what? Thank you, Jesus. But what if we're in the uh, Simon's shoes? What if we're comparing ourselves as good, mature, 
committed churchgoers to the people that don't go or to the people who don't do right or the people who are trying to actively destroy the world as we know it. What do we see? Do we see that sinner that needs to be removed who's making things awkward? Do we see that sinner who's, who needs to be removed because they're the ones bringing down God's judgment? Do we see them and ask them to please leave because you don't belong here? I don't say that harshly because I say that convictingly. It's so easy for me to think who is worthy of being in our community and who's not. When we do that, we are nothing more than a fraternity or a sorority who's taking an entry exam and asking uh, if you belong. But the church is different than that, isn't it? God's kingdom is different than that. The beautiful thing about the church of Jesus Christ is that he fills it with the people whom he calls, and then he throws us into an eternal family together and says, live amongst yourselves and do it well. Be humble, be patient, bear with one another. What does bear with one another mean, by the way? It means put up with one another. Like tolerate? Sure, that's the starting point. Accept? I might be getting closer. How about to even stand up for people that you disagree with? Oh, now it's getting difficult. Yeah, Jesus has called us to be a foretaste a, a, a taste of how God's goodness is going to pour out eventually when he brings peace over all the earth. And that peace is going to look like Jesus' kingdom, not the Pharisees. So friends, let us be sure that when we are feeling low and unlovable by God, oh no, he's willing to go well beyond 500 denarii. He's willing to forgive anything and everything. What sense of just depravity that you think you possess, he's already seen worse. He loves you. Like we tell these children every week, he sees you, he knows you by name, and he loves you. So if you are feeling unloved or unlovable, if you're feeling like this woman, know that he receives you because he sees you and he loves you. Then he cleans you. It's not the other order. And sometimes if we get in and around the church long enough, we start thinking a little bit more like Simon and his tribe. Let us remember, those who've been forgiven much, what? Love much. So friends, let us be honest, let us be fair, and let us love deeply. Let us love much. Let us love not only because he loves me, but because he loved this woman. Let us not have to fall to the, to, the, to the depths that she had to to be able to receive Christ. We don't have to celebrate that. We don't have to go down there so that we can. But let us just rejoice in all the stories. If we had the time and the energy and, the, and the, our, our backs could handle pews long enough, we could stop and we could start passing a mic around. And I could say, tell us a short word of how, what God has done for you. And I can tell you, as I've gotten to know you over the past six months, I know beautiful stories about how God has met you, how God has seen you, how God has heard you when you cried out, how God has walked with you through great pain, great difficulty. Friends, inside these walls, a good group of us get that, maybe even all of us. If you don't, my prayer is that you would see 
that Jesus knows you and loves you. And that we leave this place filled with such joy, such delight, such happiness that Jesus knows us and sees us that we can't help it but share it to the person down at Tallulah's. That we can't help it but share it when we go to work the next day. That we can't help but share it with our family member who's like, oh, you're going to talk about Jesus again? Yes, and I'm even open to being a little awkward about it, just like this woman. Because he's so good. And his love is so beautiful. And his forgiveness is so firm. that I want nothing more than Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to examine our own hearts and to see where we are at and which role, which seat we would be sitting in at this party. And Lord, help us to not, as we sit and figure out our seat, help us to see if we have a good view of Jesus, that we could see his love, that we could see that he didn't turn away from the awkward or the sinful or the broken, but that he accepted her and then he forgave her and he set her on a transformed path. Lord, we pray that that would be our story as individuals and that that would be our story as a church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.